All right, Brian McDonald. This week, we are going to continue with the Masters of the Craft series. And we have another one of your friends, Ronnie Del Carmen. Can you talk about why you wanted Ronnie on this show and maybe some of the things to be watching for with Ronnie? Uh, Ronnie, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Ronnie. He's so good with the emotional stuff. Even if you look at his boards, like if you look, he did a, a lot of boards for uh, Wally and, and with Eve. And when I, when I look at those boards, I can tell it's him because you almost, you are moved just by the storyboards. I wanted to know how he thought. I wanted to know what went into his work. And there were some surprising things in the interview, which was like a guy like me, I grew up, this is all I ever wanted to do. And he was, he started off kind of as a fan, sort of obsessed with movies and stuff and like to draw, but I don't, uh, he wasn't doing what I was doing, which is I knew when I went to the movies, I was going to school. I think he got the stuff through osmosis, mm. which is got it through consuming it. Um, and, but the work, anyway, his work is, is unbelievable. I, I could not be a bigger fan of Ronnie's work. It's, uh, it's amazing. He's, I mean, he can draw, he can think. It's all about how you think, I think, for me. Um, and I like the way he thinks. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller, Masters of the Craft, a conversational series with author and filmmaker Brian McDonald. In this episode, Brian is joined by Pixar director and writer Ronnie Del Carmen, who received an Oscar nomination for Pixar's animated smash hit, Inside Out. Ronnie shares his journey as an artist, along with the mystical and often painful processes creatives face in producing empathetic work that resonates across audiences. The first time I was aware of you was a, um, it was a Dark Horse comic. It was a, a, an alien comic that you did. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's the first time I saw your work. And I'm like, this guy's amazing. And, uh, and I remember everybody was passing that comic around saying, this guy is amazing. And, uh, and then uh, I didn't know what you were doing or, or who you were. I knew your name. And then uh, you were working on uh, the animated Batman. Is that what you I was doing? Batman yeah. the animated series. Yeah. When yeah. I started working on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so I gave a lecture at Pixar and you happen to be in the audience and you introduced yourself after the lecture and uh, when you told me your name, I'm like, I know who that guy is. Um, so uh, I, I have been uh, a fan of your work for a long time. And, and one of the things that uh, you and your brother both have this, which is this, mm -hmm. um, this there's a delicacy to your work uh, that is uh, amazing. I, I can't quite explain it, but it's, it's just, um, it's, a, it's very sensitive work. Oh, uh, and I, I see it in your boards too. Like your boards blow my mind because there's a lot of emotion in there. And I, so I guess I want to know um, what, first of all, if you tell people what you do, like you're at a party or something, uh, and you tell people what you do, what is their biggest misconception about what you do? Yeah, that's a, that's a big, um, that's a big moment that always keeps happening when I introduce my, you know, mixed yeah. group. Yeah. I tend to tell them that I work at Pixar, and then the next question is, "Oh, are you an animator?" Oh, okay. That's usually it. And I was like, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I, I," and then I, I'm faltering the same way I'm faltering here because 
I should have actually had this rehearsed over years. Right. But because I'm conflicted by my answer and how always I get this response is always kind of um, mixed. I, I, I've never quite settled on the one actual kind of, this is the memorized spiel. So I tell them, it's like, I do uh, storyboards. I write, I direct, I design. Okay. Do most people understand what storyboards are now? No, they don't. Because okay. uh, at least I pared it down to that. Because before I would say, I'm a story artist. Oh, well, yeah. Now that actually confuses people even more. I'm sure it does. And, and then they feel like, so are you a writer or you are an artist? Which actually is a fair question because sure. at, at the end summation, you're both right. and you're neither. Right. You're not either one of those things. You're an amalgam of both. You do your best to actually always stay being both such mm -hmm. that if you were just primarily drawing something, then you're kind of doing a disservice to your writer's side. Right. You're just writing. You're not really completing the experience because a movie is experience right. as, a, as an event, as a moment. Mm -hmm. That is neither just written or neither just you know, imagery. Right. So that is why I always tell them, and by then I'm losing people already, <laughs> which is that the way that uh, we as story people make movies is how you experience it mm -hmm. as both kind of like something to experience with your senses of visuals as well as your senses of hearing and hopefully both actually results in emotion mm -hmm. so but by then i'm thinking it's like okay <laughs> let's talk about the weather maybe we talk about the simpsons <laughs> I, I i like this subject too much <laughs> and i do it and I, I love doing this job and it comes out but nah i don't know <laughs> yeah i get i get that I, it's it's interesting because there are often um especially uh, this stuff is hidden it's public facing in a lot of ways I, I, and one of the reasons that I actually wanted to have um, a show like this is because I was working with Glenn Keane on something. I was helping him with a project. Mm -hmm. And we're in this room. It was just me and Glenn. And we were in this room. And before I was working with Glenn, I mean, he's a friend now, but before I was working with him, I was just this huge geeky fan of Glenn. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And, like, who's not, right? And yeah. so then, so he... he uh, he read my books and he, he asked me to help him on something. And so I, I went to help him and I was sitting in that room and I thought, now, if I wasn't lucky enough to be in this room, helping out on this project, I sure I would want to be a fly on the wall. I, and I, I almost felt like I, like I'm having an experience that a lot of people would like to have to see how something they, they love uh, gets made. Right. Yeah. Because that's a big mystery. Right. Yeah. Um, when it's done, it's just done. And nobody knows all of the work and all of the decisions and yes. all the ways it could have gone <laughs> and all the things mm -hmm. that got thrown out and the things that were cool, but had to go. And none of that stuff is there. And, uh, and so, uh, so that's, I'm really interested in that, that part of it because yeah. so when you're thinking about a project, what do you think, what is your job? Um, what is what is what do you feel like your job is? And, the, and here's what I mean by that. And I, and I, it's just weird. I feel like I'm name dropping all the time, but it, you know, 
So I was talking to Frank Oz about that, who, who yeah, sa- says, says he might do the show. Do you know Frank? Yes. You, well, you call him because I, <laughs> he says he wants to do the show. So he'll, he'll do it eventually. He'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it. He'll do it. He's a, he, I, I love talking to him. We have great conversations. Yeah, he's but, great. Isn't he? Yeah. So, okay. So, but one of the things he said to me once was um, that he feels like his job is to bring things to life. He goes, that's what I do. Wow, so that encapsulates, awesome. isn't it? So yeah. that encapsulates the puppeteering that he has done, the directing, the acting, right? I bring things to life. And I yes. thought that was a great way to talk about what he did. Yes. So um, if you had to think, if you had to define what you do or how you think of the job, what do you think it is? It, I, I've always felt that I, I felt like I was approaching it when I was doing it and did not observe it. And then the question uh, happens where, and how do you do your job or what exactly is your job? I started to kind of, try and understand it myself because it's, it's hard to actually kind of tease it apart because in, in the one sense, what I do is obvious because there are drawings that show up. Right. right. And then also, and then at the other, uh, the other part of it is that the question is like, so why did you decide to do that? Right. Right. And then the other part of it is kind of like the result of it when I actually do my work and my immediate audience is usually either, the directors, or if I'm directing, is my directing partner, which would be Pete Doctor, mm-hmm. or other people. You know, mm-hmm. so these are the first people to see what I've done. Right. You know, in, in the studio, it'll be kind of the, the decision makers will see it, mm-hmm. and their reactions are what I will aim for, which okay. usually is because of their experience of making movies. They kind of know this is a good moment. This is okay. a this is worth experiencing, but they're also human beings. Mm-hmm. So they're, 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 they, they have to respond to it as that. So A, my, when I tackle any moment, I almost try and find first how I relate to the moment. What, where is me in it? Mm-hmm. Because um, I've, been given this, this, I've been given feedback that says like, man, your drawings are awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, you did that drawing so well. Right. Oh, you, you can draw anything and everything which at some point was great, but then at a later point, it actually is, it, it minimizes what I actually had put into sure. making the drawing work because I believe that a drawing not only communicates kind of how facile you can do it or how well you can do it, but it actually has to communicate something beyond just the drawing. It has to communicate what the character is going through, what the story is about, what the underlying issues and emotions are. So, as much as I believe that they are being affected in that way, but the comment is like, your drawing is so good. Right. Right. right? That uh, at some point, I started to actually feel that I wonder if what they're responding to is just the drawings, or am I always going to be, going to be the drawing guy? Not that I wanted to be anything else. Right. But my immediate public, which are my producers, directors, and colleagues, um, stop giving me scripts. They actually let me kind of handle the material as raw as it is mm-hmm. or as early as possible. So I actually create the moments. Mm-hmm. And that because of all the training we've gotten from, from acting to improv, you, you feel that you can make this moment come alive based on the feelings that you are feeling. 
mm-hmm. that you're going through as the character. And that generates the imagery. That generates the moment. Right. Because the job before, if you were just storyboarding for TV back in the day, you get a script and there are the lines, you're the description, you delineate those. Right. And if you vary from that, you're kind of like, mm, you may have not followed it to the letter, even mm-hmm. though you followed your muse, your feeling right, about it. Right. Not quite what we were looking for. And you will mm-hmm. get kind of, uh, you get that kind of feedback. Uh, and, and what I do these days in features, it's the other way around. So kind of, I get to become the source of what happens mm-hmm. to the character in the movie, which is the preferred way for myself. So what I do is that I find how close I am, I am to this moment so that I can kind of extract the truth out of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, example is like in a moment like uh, Coco, where I am not part of the crew, I am not part of the major push and versions of the movie. And at one point, Lee approaches me and says, Ronnie, we have a moment that is kind of a moment that you do. Uh-huh. Oh, and I say, okay, <laughs> I get it. And then I'm thinking, it's like, because we know each other, we've known, I'm known at Pixar, it's kind of like, there's that guy who does these things. Mm-hmm. And they're usually these parts of movies. It's usually somewhere towards the end of the second act, probably somewhere close to the lowest point or maybe, and then also kind of like there is also somewhere close to the second act, past the midpoint where there are major epiphanies of the characters that, that actually have point, started to point them away from their core principles to the first sure. act. That's where I come in. Okay. And they already have the setting. They already, they, they build the roadmaps going there and they already have the moment. But they still ask me, can you do this moment for us? This is like, yeah, sure. This is the moment we're in. Um, uh, Chicharron, who owns a guitar, is the target of our two protagonists so that they can borrow a guitar from him. It's just kind of like your surface goal. Go and borrow a guitar. Yeah. And uh, I'm not so sure if I'm going to be welcome in there, but I'm going to go and like, you know, I'm going to go work my magic on him. And then he does. When he goes inside, they have a little tiff with Chicharron, but in the rules of this world, he's going to disappear, disappear for the final time because nobody remembers him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the way I tackle that moment is like, well, it seems like everything's there already. Mm-hmm. Even the lines of dialogue that needs to be said. But I wanted to mine for it. It's like, where would I put this setting for the maximum impact of, of things and how would I position him? What kind of old man is he? And then um, usually I like to deal with body poses and then pauses and who says what and what are we looking at? And then primarily whose experience is this really? Right. And in that, because it delineated kind of like wholesale, I wanted to focus on like, this is the boy's experience because this is a boy's movie. Right. So everything is kind of having to kind of happen around him and it's his observation of the dynamics of the two characters. But who am I in this moment? Me. Right. And so in this moment, I am Chicharu. Mm-hmm. I can relate to him. I even draw him to look like me when I was drawing it. And I set the lighting, I set the mood because I'm thinking it's like I'm, the, I'm going to be the actor in this moment and I'm, and I can dig 
not too deep and understand, you know, you're, nobody thinks about you. Right. And, and at some point, really, you, even if you went, nobody would even know. Mm -hmm. So the kind of feelings that you're going through kind of delineate, for me anyway, it has to start like this. I have a center part that I want to get to. Um, there are some moments of levity. There's a song that's going to be played. What are we going to be looking at when that's happening? All of those things, just based on how I feel about this character, Chicharron, but I also want to be able to show it through the eyes of the young boy who's watching. And then because of those kinds of feelings and choices that I'm imagining is happening, I draw the set. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of make... The, the lighting happened. And I feel like, oh, yeah, because I love doing these things because I, I'm, I'm a cinematographer and a production designer. But right. I, oh, I want to put it over here. Put it over there. So by the time I present it, I present a movie part that if you haven't thought about it, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to put this over here. And, I'm gonna <laughs> right. and, then, and then I pitch it. And then they will buy it. They will say, like, I love it. We will change mm -hmm. this line here, a little high over there, low over there, and then Run with it. I pitch it one time, huh. and then I go away. So, so let me see if I can boil this down to uh, one of the uh, a Frank Oz like sort of statement. So, your job, it seems to me, is to create empathy for the characters. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, and the way you do that is through empathizing with the characters. Yeah. Right? So, okay. So, and I can feel that, I can feel that in your drawings. Mm. When I look at your drawings, I can feel that. Um, there are a lot of story artists um, where everything is technically fine, but I don't feel things. But if I look at your work, I'll, I'll feel what I'm supposed to feel. So, are there any influence that influences that you had early on? Let's let, maybe let's go back a little bit and talk about your early yeah. Yeah. influences and then, yeah. and then move up through uh, yeah. till now. Yeah. So you're, so you started off uh, wanting to draw or wanting to draw for movies or what did you, how did no, that? I, when I started, I just wanted to be able to draw. Well, I wanted to okay. be an illustrator. When I went to, when I finally could, we could finally afford to send me to school in, in, in Manila. Uh, I studied uh, a fine arts course, but it majored in advertising. That means okay. that you're, you're, you're grooming to be an art director or at least a member of the art department in an advertising agency. Okay. Because they actually pay a wage. Right. Then you, and, and you work in the, in the ritzy financial district in, in, in Manila. So it okay. feels like, yeah, but they actually don't pay you anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And you get to draw, and right. you get to spec type, you understand advertising production, because I love graphics, um, and all of that. And then when I migrated to the United States, it was, uh, the animation was dying out. Mm -hmm. And um, When was this? You, when this was is 1989. 1989. Okay. okay. The, um, I think, if I remember correctly, it's like The Great Mouse Detective is done, but then there's this little movie out there, kind of like in whispered around. It's like, oh, there's a movie, this Little Mermaid is being made somewhere and, and at Disney. And nobody, with a title like Little Mermaid, you know, it's like, oh, this is going to be more of the same. Right. Right? Yeah. And they, were in a, they were in a very 
uh, slow. They were in a slump. I remember this. As, as, as a matter of fact, I'm going to interrupt you quick to tell you something that somebody told yeah. me. So, so I moved to Los Angeles in 1986. Okay. And, um, and uh, I had worked in animation, um, doing animation camera work and um, motion graphics and stuff. And so anyway, I had this job, uh, my first job down there. I was working on a music video. And the guy I worked for had worked at Disney. And I was just like, I can't, I would love to work there. Oh my God. I could, you know, it was like a dream, you know, to work. Oh yeah. And uh, he said to me, um, he said, oh, well, if you ever go to Disney, you'll notice that everybody's really good at hacky sack. (laughs) And I said, really? He says, yeah. He goes, because (laughs) he said, because um, the way that they were running the animation department was um, an animator would do a scene and turn it in. And then uh, they would always hand it back to the animator and say, this isn't good enough without mm-hmm. really looking at it, however it was being run. So what they would do is th- they said, that didn't take long enough. You did that too quickly. You work on it some more. <laughs> and it was just a procedure. So what they would do is they would do their scene and then put it away for a week and go play hacky sack. <laughs> and, and so, uh, I don't know, a couple months later, I had an interview at Disney and there were people playing hacky sack all over the place. It was hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah. So they were, yeah, awesome. they were, yeah, they were in a bad way at that moment. Anyway, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No, actually, I had a similar report from a friend, but at, by that time, I was already working at Warner Brothers animated series. And a friend of mine had migrated to doing features in, um, at Disney. And I was just doing uh, TV storyboards. And he, I asked him, it's like, so what's the work like? Oh, yeah, I get a, I get a sequence. Okay, what's the sequence? That's just a, 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 movie, a, a movie moment. Oh, yeah. oh, it's just like our sequences in, in TV. Oh, yeah, okay, all right. So it's just cut to transition to transition. Right, okay, great. And then uh, I'll give you one week, and then, it'll, and then I'll work on it for um, six weeks. Six weeks? You get to work on one moment? Yeah. And then they'll look at it and they'll give me three more weeks. What? Yeah. But you're paid more. Yes. Wait, I want that too. Because I don't get paid. You know, I was already by then directing at, at Warner Brothers and uh, on Freakazoid. And then I'm feeling like, well, I, I'd like to do less work. <laughs> for a lot longer time, for a lot more pay. And by then, uh, you know, there was rumors of like, you know, that, that uh, they're going to get paid more because DreamWorks was about to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that yeah. ended a lot of things. But anyway, yeah. you were saying that yeah. you heard m- rumblings of Little Mermaid. Yeah, rumblings of Little Mermaid. And, and by then I was working at DIC at Deke uh, on, a, on, a, on a little, very low budget show. It's my introduction to animation, which I know nothing about. I didn't study it. I don't know anything about animating. I wouldn't know what animating on twos, fours. I don't know what a, uh, what a, a slug is. I don't know what timing is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what 16, what, what 16 frames meant. Yeah. Nothing. Completely. <laughs> For two and a half months, I worked at Deke, and I had a crash course. A friend of mine who's French, Sylvain Dupre, who I met when I landed in, in the U.S., Who's a, a uh, who is a master storyboard artist for live action movies? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the classiest guy you could ever meet um, was very very gracious to me and giving me advice, kind of like you should do this, you should do that. We met at uh, uh, Neil Adams Continuity Studio. Oh, okay. 
um, and Burbank, because Neil has a New York uh, setup first, but he has a branch in, in, in Burbank. I know about that outfit because of one, comic books, it's Neil Adams. The other is uh, the advertising because he's in the annuals of advertising, even in the Philippines, I knew about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that he was in Burbank where I was living with my parents and then I answered an ad, a newspaper ad, and then I showed up um, and they gave me a few freelance jobs and I started becoming more prolific and they hired me outright, but it's not a well-run outfit. Uh, Neil even invited me to do comics for him, and I felt like, mm, I don't think so, Neil. I, I'm not really a good comic book artist. I like playing at it. it. That's what you're seeing, but I'm not a real comic book artist. And he's just like, nah, you don't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> what, can I ask you why, you why you think you're not a real comic book artist? What is it about comic book art? That because uh, making comics is hard. It it's, is. It's, and and uh, it, it looks a lot like a lot of fun, but it's it, it's a long slog to do 22 pages of anything. Mm -hmm. And then also having worked with Neil in his little studio, I knew I didn't want to work with Neil. Uh -huh. Sure. <laughs> I just felt like I don't know if I want to do this at all. I don't want to work for you uh, doing comic books. It's enough that I'm already doing ad work and comps and a movie poster comps for you, but I, I, I really should, shouldn't. And so Bain advised me. So I was like, you're too good for this place. You should get out. <laughs> And then I, I worked with his friend, Sylvain, uh, uh, Sylvain introduced me to Martin, uh, 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 Stéphane Martinier, uh, who, who's working at Deke. And he started teaching me just kind of the basics of, of animation TV production, mm -hmm. which I had to learn while on the job. I got the knack of it. And by then, two and a half months later, uh, the show ended. And then I ended up at Warner Brothers working on Batman, the animated series. Based on two and a half months of experience where people take whole four-year courses on animation, I was working on the most sought-after job in animation. That was at the time. In yeah. Burbank. Yeah. And they weren't hiring. Wow. I brought my portfolio, which is nothing. You couldn't tell if anything at all that I could do. <laughs> And I just did my best effort to put a portfolio together. They interviewed me on a Monday. By Wednesday, you're hired. And I knew that they weren't hiring because in the industry buzz, which back then before the internet, now you, don't, you, you better not even leave your portfolio there. It's just going to stay there because they're not looking. Right. I dropped off my portfolio because I had no leads. I might as well just leave it there. And then they called me back. And then Bruce Tim asks me, so what do you want to do? And I said, character design. And then he said, nah, you'll do storyboards. And I have not done a full storyboard ever before. But he hired me. And I learned on the job. I made a lot of mistakes. But I learned a lot of kind of the, the, the principles, uh, the cinematic language. And on the show of Batman animated series, the standards were very high. But mm -hmm. I couldn't compare that to any other show because it's other than the one that I was in, which is very low level. By mm -hmm. the time that you go to Batman, you know, it's like, wow. I wonder if all jobs are like this. Like, they're not. But <laughs> that show was not only very daring, but it allowed, it gave me the permission to be a filmmaker mm -hmm. as I learned.
Sure. We were dealing with dramatics, difficulties that characters are facing, and then moods, uh, as well as comedy um, and staging. You own everything because you're a little director as you're a storyboard artist. Sure. Uh, and then, of course, I work with the best. I work not only with Bruce, I work with Paul Dini. And then the workshopping happens, which I didn't understand that what was happening. Sure. Riffing. Sure. That. I want to. I want to. I want to stop you because I want to go back a ways. We'll get back okay. here. We'll come right. back here. I still want to know uh, what your influences were. Oh, oh. Um, uh, it, as they were only uh, illustrators back in okay. the day. I wanted to to be Bernie Fuchs. Okay. You know, I, I I felt like if I could be a magazine illustrator, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But then when comics uh, showed up in my life, I wanted to. I. I I had um, wanted to be Neil. Okay. But then after that, I felt like, nah, I'm kind of over that. I wanted to be uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. Sure. Right? And then... Um, I still want to be Bill Sienkiewicz. I, 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 would, I would still would love to be <laughs> Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, his, his turn on, on The New Mutants was just so mind-blowing. It was amazing. Yeah. It was just still to this day, if I find a copy of the Demon Bear Saga, I would buy it all over. Oh, again. yeah. I don't know, I know. why. I, it's it. ama- oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It is. It's amazing. And then, of course, as Frank Miller's work on Daredevil and Batman made you understand that my writer friends in the Philippines were kind of like, we can write this. Mm-hmm. We can make moments like this. This is great. This is not your 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 grandfather's comics. Um, and then in terms of film, because in the Philippines, um, the movies actually file into a line at the theaters. I was always in movies. I will beg, borrow, or steal to watch movies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the best theaters are two hours away from me in my small town, hmm. and I will ride three uh, buses to be able to get to a, uh, a screening. One of my favorite ones, I brought my little brother back then and we were, uh, it was for Alien. Oh yeah, sure. And then, and we watched it because of the, the, the twitchy trailer that ended up being aired on TV and just like, <gasps> gotta watch it. And then we watch it. <laughs> and then uh, we came out of the theater. It was about four or three in the afternoon. And me being the older brother, I'm wondering, it's like, I want to buy another ticket and go back in there and watch it again. Yeah. Of course, Rick, my brother, is like, like would probably do what I say. But then I ask him, he's like, you want to do it? So it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we watched two screenings of it because we both read sci-fi. We, all, all the brothers did, Rick, Louie, and I. And we love sci-fi. We love movies. So all the movies that come from the U.S., you get to watch a lot of them and because they don't just happen all at once. They kind of like file in okay. one at a time. And then uh, the programming in the Philippines, and there's only four channels and there's at least two channels that are American programming that aired American programming TV, but also old movies, American International, um, all the classic more Westerns, uh, even movies that really, really shouldn't be shown on TV, but the censors didn't know about it back then. Midnight Cowboy would be on. Wow. And that's a rated X movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. Right? And yet they, they, they kind of, they, they, they snipped just the parts that were offending them, but the subject matter was really, really powerful. You know, kind of like, 
intense yeah um movies like deliverance you know you would watch that and you were like nine or ten <laughs> yeah that's probably not the best for a nine it's not right yeah, but, yeah 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 but you also get to watch movies like two of my favorites was like you know a, a lion in the lion in winter oh yeah sure oh my god that movie still affects me to this day and yeah. and then uh the man who would be king right those kinds of movies you didn't know you were actually studying movies Right. So you were just as, as a fan, when I was, I knew when I was five, I wanted to be a filmmaker. So I was always studying. So I was obsessed with movies in exactly the same way, but I always knew that I was learning. It was like I was in school. No, not for you me. Because, uh, the, the most fascinating thing to me is because I loved animation, even the, uh, especially the wonderful world of color. Mm -hmm. uh, I would feel very distraught if it wasn't aired. And by the time it showed up in the Philippines, it's kind of like a couple of years old. It's, being, mm -hmm. it's probably a copy that came from the U.S. naval bases that the TV station had gotten. And they would air them as, as faithfully as they can. And then there would be days when they would drop it and I would be distraught. Yeah. I love the wonderful world of color and I love animation and I love cartoons. But I just love them as a fan of watching sure. animation. The idea that they were made by human beings never entered my mind hmm. as a kid. Okay. I, I, and the idea, if it actually did, that it was made by human beings, I, it never entered my mind that I would ever want to make them. No, I, I don't think I ever want to make cartoons. Um, I like drawing, but I, no, that's not for me. Was it, is it, was it just too impossible to conceive of or was it's, it? It's impossible to conceive of where I was. I was living again, two hours away from Manila and everyone's surrounding me. It's like, it's, it's there was to be about three or four comic book fans in my whole little town. Sure. Great comic books. And then um, paperbacks, you would have to travel two hours away to buy them. Wow. Now, uh, where did you, where did you get comic books? Did you get them at like a, you would get them, uh, again, two hours away uh, in Manila, and they would be kind of these, these newsstands, and they were kind of the, the comic books that the U.S. servicemen had carried with them and then dropped off, and then somebody would wrap them in plastic, and they okay. would show up in the newsstands. Okay. So they were kind of well-worn. You know, my first Hulk comic book I ever bought had a missing, like, signature. I didn't know how to story ended. <laughs> I, I, I bought uh, serialized stories in analog, were in the, the last entry was, I could never find. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a, a George R. R. Martin story. Uh, I searched for that high and low. I, I just loved it. Um, that's the kind of existence. These people who create stories and entertainment, literature, art, they lived in not only another country, they might as well have lived in another planet. Sure. There's no one who actually does art around me. There's no one who could talk to you about art. And if mm -hmm. there was, you know, they are living kind of this, this very low-level existence. Mm -hmm. um, that by the time that I actually enrolled in an advertising course, Fine Arts, you, that was the most number of people in one place that were actually holding pencils and paint and doing something that felt like, how was this a secret? <laughs> why is it, why was this kept from me? Mm -hmm. Because I lived two hours away. It's right. almost provincial. Sure. And um, 
and also because of TV and movies and uh, friends of mine who were Army Navy brats of the U.S. Navy, I understood how to ape an American cadence of speaking English as opposed to the Philippines way of speaking English. Sure, yeah. So they sounded like the people on TV. Right. My friends. Okay. So when I hung around them, I get to kind of like sound like the people on TV. Okay. So I'm like, oh, I can get to kind of like banter with them. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but was that it, helpful though when you when you immigrated to? It, it was it was very helpful because yeah. by I, because being such a big movie fan and a big um, uh, TV uh, fan and cartoon fan, I kind of know uh, enough about Americana to be able to talk to my friends who had grown up in the states, but they were Filipinos, and that uh, they welcomed me in. They kind of like, oh, you're kind of one of us. Right, so I kind of like hung out with those guys, kind of uh-huh. like, yeah. and this was like fourteen, fifteen, and I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, but I was also dirt. We were really poor, mm-hmm. all or lost everything. So, um, so they would get together and they would say, "It's like, hey, uh, you want to come and join us for this?" It's like, uh, I can't because um, I, I can't go to a party. I don't have a car, you guys, and I don't have clothes. And I'm right, like, oh, nobody cares. Yeah, it's easy for you to say, but I'm gonna be. Yeah. So, but then when I graduated from high school and this, another side story that we should have a a talk about is like, I worked on apocalypse now as a 16 years old looking for work. I, I, I was there for a couple of months working in a T in, 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 in a team of, of, of painters, but I was also the youngest one. So there was discrimination anyway. So by the time I leapfrog over that, because that's a big story. Sure. When I landed in Manila, um, trying to do odd jobs here and there, and then eventually get into school, the people in school, because it's a private school, it costs money to get into school. Mm-hmm. You get into school, um, there's a stratification, just like anywhere. There's a, a status in economics. Because of the way I carry myself, having kind of hung around a lot of these U.S. Navy brats and the way I speak, which doesn't sound like American, doesn't sound like Filipino English. Mm-hmm. I sounded like I went to an international school. Right. Or I had come from the States. Right. And that because I know kind of the campfire of movies and TV that they banter about. Mm-hmm. And I thought nothing of doing that because I used to do it with my friends right. who knew exactly what my history is. So they would get to ask, it's going to like, so what part of the States did you come from? And I'm like, well, actually, I've never been to the States at all. What? Really? No, I've been here all my life. Not, not at all. Never. And then when they invite me to go places i still demure no i sorry can't yeah don't don't got can't do it why got a thing because they live in big houses they right. live in, in estates and they, they have chauffeurs yeah you know there would be people who would kind of like we'll pick you up oh no so okay you you guys go ahead i'll see you in school right um but being around creating art and being around people who have you, the boundaries that I gave myself as a young person kind of got opened up because people welcomed me. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and then welcome me to kind of participate because you sound like you can do this. Right. Why don't you do this? You should. Okay. That follows me all the way to the U.S. that someone like Bruce Tim would say, or, or Stefan, you know, in the first place, I know you don't have experience. I think you can do this. Mm-hmm. Based on what, I wonder. And then when Bruce tells me, it's like, you're going to do storyboards. Based on this portfolio, I, I wouldn't hire me with this. And then all the way up to being a director, going to DreamWorks. Uh, what do you think they saw? What do you think they saw? I, I, I can only speculate because I'm not very, uh, uh, I'm not very good at uh, being, uh, I can't self-examine very well because I don't know, because you, you're inside yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that they felt that I, 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 I had, they saw enough of this personality that probably lights up and talks about this thing that I can see well, and feel. I, 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 ha- I have a, a former student, a friend of mine, and she's going through this right now, and she doesn't know why she's getting certain opportunities, and she doesn't feel ready. Yes. And, and first of all, you never feel ready. And you're re- never ready. You're never ready. You never feel ready, right? Other people usually recognize that before you do, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, uh, but the other thing is that um, I have seen, and maybe you've seen this with uh, younger people who are, are coming up and you see them, there's, a, there's not always the ability, but the passion for the thing is bigger. It's, that's, yeah. That matters more. It there's does, sort of enthusiasm. Right? Yeah. to get it right because they can learn all the other things, but yes. they can't learn that. Yes. Um, right. And so, yeah, I wonder if that's what they saw, a sort of I, passion. Yeah, you may be right because when I do advise people, I say it's like there's a lot about what I do that you can probably pick up just watching a few YouTubes mm-hmm. you know, or, or pick up a book. But the very thing that makes anyone a musician, an artist, a puppeteer, Mm -hmm. um, that's hard to come by. I can't find them everywhere. They're not everywhere. They're not everywhere. They're not everywhere. And not only that, because I I interview people who want to work uh, in this industry or in Pixar. And then I always ask them, it's like, don't show me your portfolio of work you've done for other people. I I want you to show me what the work that you do for yourself. And then it's like, really? Yeah, I want you to bring your sketchbooks. And then, then I then the last talk. Uh, and then after that, I tell I am kind of I'm notorious at Pixar Hunt for trying to scare people from taking the job. <laughs> That's actually good. I get that. I can see yeah, why you would do that. I yeah. do. I, I do because I feel like this is this is one of those things that because uh, it's it's frustrating work. Mm-hmm. It's not only frustrating work; it hurts. Right. Very painful. What, what is it about, what, what's painful about it? The painful part of what I would say is that has been required of me and then also I require of myself when I'm working on anything uh, that I care about, like a movie, a feature. I am dedicated to actually kind of doing this every day, mm-hmm. but the investment, what you actually put forth on the table in front of everybody else is a piece of you. Yep, yeah. Your craft, your life, your thoughts, all bare. Yeah. And it gets swiped away right away. No waiting. Yeah. 
Yeah. If it lives for a few more minutes, count yourself lucky, and then it will die. If yeah. it lives for another day, count yourself lucky, it will die. It may be in the movie for three years, and then one day we'll cut it. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. That's really painful. And, you know, there's a, it's interesting that you talk about that because that makes people very protective, right? So they don't put yes. their best work, they don't put yes. their best work out because they're afraid of that. They're afraid of, of that. And right. Then, because of that, and I, because I tend to ask them what their creative journeys are, and because it will sting and it will hurt, it'll frustrate, it'll make you wonder who am I following into these war zones and taking hills for where it seems like we're aimless, we're wandering, yeah. lost, and we're solving things that doesn't seem to need solving. Why are we doing this? You mm-hmm. will wonder. If you've never done this to this extent before, you will just hate this. And it, will eat, it will eat at you. It yeah. will erode the very reason you even do this thing. Yeah, that's true. And then if that is somehow true about the candidate when I'm talking to them, because I will tell you that there are days when you're wondering, it's like, should I shoot myself in the foot so I can get transferred out of this? <laughs> Right. Because I was in the hospital and I don't have to do this thing. Right. Because it's painful. It's that painful sometimes and frustrating. And the reason that I am here and then a lot of these other people are walking around here is because not because they found a way to work around that, not because that doesn't exist in certain times of the year. No, it's always there. It is because the very thing that actually irritates and kind of gives you pain and the very thing that actually frustrates you every day inside that is the very thing that actually delivers to you what you enjoy about doing this job. Right, right. Right in there. And yeah. then it, the, the kind of miner's luck adding one little nugget of something is enough to stay in for years. Why would that be a commensurate balance? I don't know. But <laughs> that is how I'm struck these days. I will go and mine for those things, fail every freaking day, and then actually face plant in front of a lot of people. Right. Right? And then not only that, I feel like I'm actually going backwards. Yeah. But when you actually do something, and actually kind of sticks in there. I've kind of found a way to say something just in the right way, and it stays. That is worth hanging on for. Yeah. But if that coin actually doesn't buy anything in your world, you shouldn't be here. Right. right. Because I will watch you wither. I will watch you mm-hmm. get eaten up from inside, and then I will watch you leave. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because I think that what people don't understand when you're doing uh, creative work that is meant to be emotional, that is meant to evoke emotion. Um, I, I didn't understand when I started how, how much bravery it took to do that. Yes, you're right. Right. I didn't, I didn't understand. understand. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, actors talk about being brave. You're like, how can that, you're pretending to be, so, how can that be brave? But it's completely brave. You're completely oh. sort of uh, emotionally naked. Yeah. Right. 
and you got a bulge over here and a thing over here, you know, you know, like <laughs> you don't like. And and the the closer you can get to um, stripping away anything you would use to protect yourself, the the deeper you can dig, the better that work will be. Yeah. But the more at risk you are. Yes, that never changes. That risk yeah. part. You wish that all the professional years that you put in can kind of be an antidote to that? Yeah. No. Yeah. It, you are not special. Yeah. No matter how many years you put in, yeah. you are at the same line as everybody else. I'm like, ah. Oh. No, I, I can have delusional days where I feel like I'm doing great. Right. But that falls apart the next day. <laughs> right. It's also interesting that sometimes what I found is that the work that comes easily where I'm having the most fun is often not the best work. Not the best the work. best work comes when I'm like, this sucks and this is awful and I don't know what I'm doing. And then everybody's like, that thing is amazing. And I'm like, yeah. that thing? <laughs> yeah. That? You know what I mean? Where, yeah. where, where it was so hard to do. And that's... Uh, that's really proof that your job is to really just show up and do the work. Oh yeah. If that's yeah. it. And you don't know yeah. how people are going to receive it. You just have to show up. And yes. um, even when it's hard, even when it's not coming, you know, I, I was writing something and, and um, I was struggling with something and somebody said, Oh, you're, you're waiting for inspiration. I'm like, I can't do that. That's not, that's not my job. I don't get paid to wait around for inspiration. So no. I have to produce no matter what's happening. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and and sometimes that's your best work. That stuff that seems like yeah, it yeah. It's a strange it thing. It is, and that's yeah. why the the critique that we've gotten from most people who don't know the process. Why does it take so long to make a Pixar movie? And it's like, well, a long time ago, we've left the idea that we know what we were doing mm -hmm. because of just the 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 preponderance of evidence says that no matter how smart we are how many of these we've made we end up in the same hole mm -hmm. and none of our best instincts and skills actually solves it all the time it never is just because we were great we were facile doesn't solve it and then it seems like the gods of storytelling want to put you through three years at minimum <laughs> hell to arrive at some notion that you had three years ago that was at the center of why you even went on this journey. Mm -hmm. But now, three years later, you actually understand it better. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about it. Because you're still trying to tell the same story. Its meaning now is not only meaningful to you, but there's a lot of you that you, and this is not a part of the conversation, we do not want to put ourselves in our movies because that's risking too much. You right. are, no, I know. For three years, you struggled that this isn't about you. This can't be about you. It shouldn't be. No, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, the, oh, man, this is about us. You right. and me making this movie. Right. It's about me and my daughter. It's about me and my friends. It's right. about what I can't get past. Mm-hmm that every day in the sifting through all of these things and the collective decisions that we weren't minding, what shows up on the screen? Well, look at that. That's us, huh? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And then you wonder, why does this resonate with other people? Well, it came from you. 
right inside you all of the little micro choices that you made from lighting to where the desk is placed and what kind of arm pose and hand pose is coming from a place that has to not only be instant but it is authentically you right By the time it shows up people recognize there's authorship in it they also recognize uh one of the things i tell people about bearing your soul yeah on the page or wherever is that a strange thing happens you're afraid that people are going to see me when i do this they're going <laughs> to yes. see me right yes. but what happens is they don't see you at all they see themselves yeah that's the weird part is that yeah. they recognize the humanity they re like oh that's in fact they're more likely to think how did that person know that about me how yeah. did they know that about me yeah right yes. Um, you disappear. The more you put yourself out there, the more you disappear. Yeah, that is that is an amazing thing. But and yet, it it would be the hardest thing to go against your native instinct to not put yourself in there. Like uh, in the beginning of the story, it's like, oh no, no, this isn't about me. I'm, I'm crafting stories all the time where I'm feeling. I know I made these pieces of myself, but I don't need to throw in all the pieces. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not all of it should be in there. And then the longer I'm in there, I feels like, well, darn it, this is, is uh, it's about me. And then, and then that struggle, if you have writing partners and collaborators, they're the ones who see it in the room. Right. Yeah. And they see you struggle with it. They tell you kind of like, isn't this about you and your daughter when she and she had a fight? No. <laughs> no, when, it's not. Then, but they will be able to tell your friends will be able to tell you this is a, what this is about. I, I had an interesting experience um, after my my brother was murdered, and after he was murdered. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. After he was murdered, I didn't. Um, you know, I was numb for a while about it, and I and I I was there was this used to be this big tree in my neighborhood on my street. This huge tree gave a lot of shade. It's just massive tree i don't know how old this tree was the owner of the house one day decided to cut it down and i was so angry that that tree was cut down i'm like i was so it was displaced like why would you cut down that tree that tree you know then i realized i was not it was not about the tree it's not about it, the tree. but not about the tree no. um and that i i was really i was displacing i couldn't feel that way about my brother's murder for some reason, but I could do it about this tree. Yes. Everything I was feeling about that tree was exactly it was, what I was it, Yeah, it was easier for that to happen. And because you can allow yourself the other avenue. Yeah. And that is kind of the, um, those are the kind of moments you want to earn. Mm -hmm. these stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, because you can't just throw it in there. No, you have to earn it. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. I tell people that all the time. Yeah. They think they can throw something in because it's emotional, yeah. but it doesn't work. It'll it doesn't work. cheap. It you is, do it, have to earn it. Yeah, and, and yeah. it does. It, it lands completely cheap, and you not only didn't earn it, the story never actually went there. Yep. Um, you just threw it in there. But the, my notion of not only not earning it is that you felt that it was a solution. It's not when you're making these stories. They, they, they don't come as like, wouldn't this be the moment wherein you throw in this emotional <laughs> right, kill? Right. Uh, because I do it. And because you ask me, I'm going to put something in there and it doesn't work. Right. Why? 
because not only didn't we earn it in the story, the story wasn't pointing there. It was right. glib. It was facile. And, um, but we ourselves have not suffered enough. Mm -hmm. We've not actually suffered enough to deserve that moment as the storytellers. And that when you are on your first, second draft, or third screening, you are still working on your best moves. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is what you're known for. Oh, right. You can sure. still deliver all of those. You can still, I got lots of reserves. I can keep putting all the all right. of my best moves in there. Right. When all of that is depleted, you don't have any more. Mm. Now, we're still the same, it's still the same story. This is the story we're telling. What else do you have? That is an amazing challenge that if, if you've never actually done this, this process before, not only is it like really humbling, but it's mystical. Mm -hmm. Ward had, to me, it was like, I don't need trophies. I don't need um, anything that would you had actually done the creative journey to the hilt. No, I don't need to because I got rewarded by this mystical journey right. of not having anything anymore. And that in that darkest of moments when you have nothing and it's despair that you managed to actually walk back and kind of try and find something else that is now because no artifice. Right. Something shows up and it doesn't look like anything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like much. Right. But at that moment, it is the one thing that feels like it should be there. And then, okay. Because it's authentic. I, yes. Right. And then not only that, I wonder now if I deserve all the other parts. <laughs> and you still have to do more. Right. It is so mystical that I've done this so many times that even though I struggle with it, I know that I, can, like, I go home and I feel like we're not even halfway through this mystical journey yet. We, we still have to pay a lot more blood, sweat, and tears. And then when it does actually happen, you don't see it when it was happening you, because you're so used to mm -hmm. just going that only in an audience uh, preview, when there's an audience who's not made the journey with you, watch it. And they get carried by these characters. Right. That now you feel like, I can give myself a little exhale to say, that was almost worth all the misery. Almost. <laughs> Well, you know, I, 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 when I'm teaching, uh, when I used to teach longer classes that would go on for weeks and, you know, um, a lot of my classes had improv in them. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, even though people thought they were in a writing class, so they'd like, I'm in a writing class. Why are you having us do this? And I would have people get in front of people and do things that could be um, embarrassing, um, some character work and some things like that. Um, and, and, and I would see people try, and I didn't make people do it. I, I was not going to force anybody to do this, right? So, um, 
I would see people, some people would volunteer. I would urge them strongly to do it, but some people would volunteer and do it. Some people would not do it. And what I would say to them is that you think that standing in front of people and doing this in, in a classroom setting where everybody's going to go through it, it's not, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. supportive, right? It's the easiest way to do this, right? Uh, where everybody's risking the same thing. Yeah. Um, so you, you have sort of training wheels on in that situation. Mm-hmm. And that's too much for you. If you feel like that's too much for you, you will not be able to do it on the page. And it's just as hard on the page. It's not easier on the page. I think people think, well, I'm anonymous. I'm, you know, I'm in my room or whatever. And I'm, I'm just, uh, it's anonymous. It's like, no, but it goes out to people and people are going to see it. And it's the same feeling as standing in front of people. And, and it's the same feeling. So if, yeah. So if you can't do that, then you can't do the other thing. If you can't, um, it's just an interesting thing. I mean, I, and actually I had one student, I had one student who refused to get up. I, I, she, she, she had very uh, bad stage fright, very shy person. And, uh, but I don't know, a year or two later, she took like a full on improv class and like threw herself into it. And, and uh, very, very proud of her for doing that because I know how hard that was. But, but that's only going to make her work better. That's yes. only going to, it's yes. only going to make her work better. Um, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if people understand how much emotional work there is in they, doing something. They don't. Draw or yeah. whatever. Yes. Leave me alone and to draw. I, I've said that many times vocally and on, in my head. Please just leave me alone and draw. That was my first reaction in, in animated features at DreamWorks. Or they gave me the script, and then I, I, I drew the script, mm-hmm. and then I, and then they told me you have to pitch it. I'm thinking it's like um, it's it's already in drawings, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the dialogue <laughs> lines. You can read it. <laughs> Why do I have to get a stick, point at the drawing, yeah. and read the lines? Because that's the way it's done, Ronnie. It's like, God, I don't want to do that because right. I don't want to stand in front of people. But that's what everybody else does, so you're going to have to do it. So I suffered through that and bombed many times mm-hmm. completely. Hate it. I just uh, hate doing this thing. But because everybody was doing it, it kind of became normal, but I was terrible at it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I started aping everybody who was doing it. Right. But then also part of it, because DreamWorks wants to be a real animation, feature animation studio, they gave us improv classes mm-hmm. and uh, acting classes. And I mm-hmm. said, see, more than pitching in front of people in the sequence where I drew, I really hate that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I really <laughs> do not want that. Yeah. But they forced me to do it, so I had to do it. And the improv classes, where I felt like it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the teacher, which I felt like, huh, why did they bring this old lady who's really crabby to teach us this system that she's teaching? Um, it's Meisner. Oh, sure. And uh, I hated it. Mm-hmm. And then the, 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 the exercise is to sit in front of someone and repeat mindless oh, right, yeah. three-word sentences to each other. Right. You're wearing glasses, right? You're wearing glasses. Yes. You're wearing yes. glasses. You're Your wearing shirt glasses. is black. 
Yeah. yeah. My shirt is black. Right. Your shirt's gray. My shirt's gray. Great. Yeah. Oh, lunchtime. I'm going for going to lunchtime. I could be <laughs> buying comic books. Yeah. <laughs> and then one day, this teacher told us, and I didn't, we just suffered through it, suffered through it. One day the teacher actually says like, okay, so here's an exercise. She's not trying to break through. So it's like, you are, um, you are a mental, uh, uh, about to be entered into a mental institution today. And you should pack your bags. That's it? Yes. Here's a bag. This is a prop. Pretend that you're putting your clothes in it. Okay. People did it. Even the heads of the story did it. Yeah. And then, while that person is on stage, so to speak, it's just a small room in a dream room. She would say, it's like, I want you to watch. Just watch. And then there was one person, I forget who it was, that I kind of like, it was just flicker. Mm-hmm. Because some people would like do the acting, right? Right. Act it. right. And then she would adjust everybody. Right. And then there was that one moment I felt like, and then she would ask, did you see something in any of this? It's like, I didn't say it to her, but I did. I saw something. Mm-hmm. And then while you're doing the back and forth, she was always talking to the audience. Did you see something like, and then it's just like, and she, with my other, my partner, she asked, it's like, okay, stop, you two. What's going on with you? What do you mean? What's happening between you two? And then my partner is just like, he says, we don't like each other. <laughs> he doesn't like me. And it's like, I almost wanted to say, that's true, I don't like <laughs> Because what she's telling the audience, which is also the other story artist, is like, that is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. The words mean anything. Right. They are mindless. They, yeah. That is what we're, sh- that we didn't want you to act. You were just being yourself. And then, the, and I'm thinking, what? Yeah. So the, the way that you're saying about improv, and acting classes. And the, the, the teacher was Susan Anspach mm-hmm. uh, by the Easy Pieces. She knows what she was doing. Right. She's just unwilling prisoners who doesn't know anything. <laughs> right. And then by the time I took another uh, class at, at, at Pixar, as the directing for actors, um, I got roped into it thinking, oh, I can direct actors and learn from Judith oh. Weston. Oh, Judith is great. She, She's great. I love She's Judith. Awesome. Yeah. I got lured in there by that little carrot and felt like, I get to know how to direct actors, yeah. Oh, yeah, but then she makes you act. And then it's an acting (laughs) class, and I feel like, I'm going to chew my foot to get out of this trap so I don't have to act. But she made me act in a scene, and memorized lines, the final, wherein uh, I had learned my lines, I learned it with my partner separately, and then together, kind of like we kind of knew, and then when it was time to actually perform, and this is informative for any, I tell this to story artists all the time, time for the day where this is you and your partner's day. Okay, we enter stage, and then Ronnie, here, stay, stay here with me. Let's stay with you. Like, your partner's already on stage. I just wanted to tell you, good luck out there. 
that's strange. <laughs> what was that moment with Judith? And then I go on stage and I just go through the whole thing. It's my, my wife and I are there and we're, she's going to tell me about something about uh, the, um, we're having a moment, we're, we're having differences of opinion about uh, one issue, but all we are, we're in the house and we're going to encounter invisible props of the kitchen and the cupboard and then the sofa. And, and I was, because she gave us uh, uh, tools on how to memorize scripts, so I kind of like marvelously know what I'm doing, saying. Yeah, she gives but you really good tool, tools. Good, I, I, good yeah, tools. she's, yeah. I got tools of also kind of like listening, which mm -hmm. is great. It was like, I don't, I'm never going to be an actor because I felt like at that moment it was hot information and I couldn't apply it. It's great. But then after, when the scene was done, all of it, the audience, which is comprised of all the other students at Pixar, then I heard them. They were laughing, mm -hmm. crazy laughing. And this wasn't a comedy. Right. And they were hilarious. They were rolling and they were pointing at me. And then by then I started noticing that there were lights on me and that that was always there. You've been mm -hmm. on the stages in the one of the green yeah. or the blue room, right? Yeah. And then, and I'm wondering, what is going on? And then Judith comes up and says, I'm so sorry. I pulled the trick on you. What? This rolls between you and your wife. I told your acting partner to play it as your mother. Right. What? Yeah. Now, all of my native feelings about how my mother frustrates me showed up. Right. And that's why they were laughing. Right. And I feel like, oh, I disappeared. Yeah. I was in this. I, the audience disappeared. Mm -hmm. I'm not even an actor. I was like, ah. Oh. And then I can only say, it's like, when does that, I know that feeling. I disappear when I'm writing and drawing, mm -hmm. the time goes away. The walls right. disappear. Yeah. I don't know what time it is. Yeah. I can't hear anything. I can mm -hmm. access reality. There's just this ball. Yeah. And it's alive. I feel like, oh, why aren't people doing this more? This is amazing. <laughs> Wait, no wonder you act. Right. You can become, you can be this. It's like a magic trick. It's like you can turn into some other person, completely be in a different place in a different world. Yeah. Amazing. What yeah. a revelation. And it helped my writing. Mm -hmm. Helped me as a director. Sure, of course. Helped me as a creator. Yeah. Helps me all over the place that felt like, why when some magic happens on screen, we feel that it was not, of course it's artificial, but the reason you fall in, you fall in love, you have fear, you feel dread, you feel excitement, elation, rising of emotion, is because these people were going through it. We just pointed a camera at them. Right. Caught it and what was happening. <sighs> right. Well, you're getting at a truth, right? Yeah. When you tell the truth, people will respond. Yeah. That's why when you, uh, when you don't earn the emotion, you're not telling the truth. You're not. You're pushing it out there. Yeah, but you're not and telling that, the truth. And, and, then, and then nobody will, nobody will feel like, I don't know, I like it, but I don't know but, if it's real. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, 
uh, uh, something I, I like to quote um, is that the idea that people think that drama is when people on the screen or on the stage cry, but <laughs> drama is when the people in the audience cry. Yes, you're right. Right. And yes. that's a big difference, right? Yes. Because they think they're doing something. If somebody's yelling or somebody's crying or somebody's, yes. and they haven't earned anything. And you see that a lot on TV. I've noticed a yes. lot of, there's a lot of yelling on television. Yes. Because, because it looks like conflict. Yeah. Conflict doesn't have to be yelling. No. Right. right? No. It can be very quiet. It can be very, but like oh. on TV, they, they, they yell a lot. Um, yes. And I'm like, oh, they're pretending that this is drama. They don't actually have real drama happening, yes. so they need to yell at each other. Yes. To pretend that they have drama. And because they have a little time. And then also it becomes disposable as a moment. Yeah. You can yeah. probably reach a certain level of, of, of emotion and feeling about it, but you can also kind of walk away from it. Uh, mm -hmm. A good moment like that in a movie kind of hangs with you for a while. Right. And it yeah. makes you feel like, yeah, I'm trying to have dinner, for God's sakes, and it's still stuck in your head. Yeah. Or kind of like, why is that still a little engine that keeps working? So I left Batman to talk about this stuff, but yeah. I want to go back to Batman, not because to talk about Batman, but I want to talk about the things you learned in these places, like who you learned from and what you learned from them. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I learned from uh, uh, like directors there like Dick Sebast and... Um, who was very patient, knows about cinematic language, mm -hmm. um, and then also learned from Bruce because of how kind of native it is for him to actually like, follow his bliss mm -hmm. about um, this is what I like, this is what I draw, this is what I'm, this is what I'm passionate about. It shows up in his work, whereas a lot of us don't give ourselves permission to do that. Oh, right. Right, because what Bruce was doing was uniquely his. Mm -hmm. That's right? true. And, and then to, to kind of feel that you need to kind of not only ask permission, but it needs to look like something else. Right. It's kind of easy for us to kind of shelter. Kind of like, yeah, well, I draw like that person. I do comedy this way. I do the. So you, you almost like gain kind of these permissions to be able to do that, even though it's not you necessarily. Right. Right. So with kind of hanging out with Bruce and, and then also learning cinematic language from, from some of the more formidable directors um, who are very, very open and honest about why things are done or why they, they are good at telling stories to use these, these uh, tools, um, this, that you, you, they allowed me to kind of nurture what is native about my style which i didn't think i had mm -hmm. because i can ape anybody because that's best practice for me as someone who wants to be hired was to become everybody okay sure and then by then but the beginning of that journey at, at, at warner brothers was uh, bruce tended to we tended to talk about comics and movies and we would close the door in his office when i knock and he go like what it's like red from Brennan and Stinky. Uh -huh. I crack open the door. So I'm like, come in, close the door. And, then, and you sit there. And then he's drawing, not work for the show, but he's drawing like <laughs> pinups so he can bring it to San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, sure. And then he goes like, take a look at this. 
And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Wait, you did that hand kind of like this style of like, yeah, I know. It was like, a, so I was like, not too much. I was like, like, and then he would like retouch a little more. It's like, and then we would draw communally, right? Mm -hmm. Together and all that. But it made like, this is also work. Right. Grade stuff that he was doing. And when he was doing stuff that he enjoys, he's procrastinating on all the scripts and storyboards right, he sure. wants to do. But that kind of passion also migrates to work. Right. So when we do our storyboards, we draw them as if they were comic books. Mm -hmm. We would ink them, we would do shading, I would do like zip -a tone on them <laughs> because we love to be able to put the dramatics in there, even mm -hmm. if it doesn't quite translate eventually. But some of it does. So that by the time it became time to for me to try my hand at comics, which is that alien book, mm -hmm. Dark Horse. I wanted to see, can I uh, become an artist, finally become one? Mm -hmm. And that was my, my kind of like, that was the testing ground for me to be able to see, can I? Because the narrative in comics is very, very delicate. Mm -hmm. You can do too much mm -hmm. uh, very easily. And so I had to start and restart. But by the time that uh, Mondo Heat, the second installment of that, came, I just wanted to have as much fun with my, my friend Henry Gilroy, who was writing it. What are the things that makes us feel happy? Let's just put it all in there. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. Yeah. That's what we just like, have fun. And because I'm a big Jack Cole fan, I had his pages in front of me, the, all the plastic man kind of takes, and uh, Betty and Veronica. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. All of those things. It was like, I'm having, I'm going to have fun. Because the way Bruce has fun making comic books, I'm just going to have fun and just kind of, and then because they give me a lot of latitude, my writer partners, that it's, it's really a, a, a workshop. So I kind of like, I'm going to put this here, I'm going to put this there. There's a moment here I think is good and like this happen. My work with Paul Dini on, on my Batman black and whites with him is like that. It's kind of like we gab about it. We talk about it. And it's, like, it's like, I'll send you the page, what I think is happening. Do whatever you want. Uh -huh. And then I do whatever I want. So, so in terms of um, that, uh, the freedom, that freedom to be yourself, how does that manifest itself in your job every day? Well, the, the thing about that, because you get enough reinforcement from other people, you feel that it's your right to do. Okay. There'll be, a, there'll be a lot of times where you could probably work for different people and you won't let you do that. Right. You have to turn into them. Right. Or do it their way. Right. Right. Yeah, you, you know you're working for the wrong people. Right. When, when it's that case. But because... Uh, the best work I do tends to become uh, the ones where and I mine from myself. Yeah. Um, solves writing and creative moments in the movies. Right. They, they see it, right? Mm -hmm. I don't see it. I don't know when it's happening. But mm -hmm. when they see it, they put it in the movie. Right. So by the time I joined uh, DreamWorks, not knowing anything about the job and failing left and right for about a year, uh, I had been drawing a part of Prince of Egypt that started with me and came back about a year later again. It's the same scene. And I bombed royally on it. 
mm-hmm. in front of Jeffrey, the, the three producers, three directors, two heads of stories, editorial. I was like, man, I really suck at this. I'm terrible. It's just because even though there's a writer and there's heads of stories, there are producers and directors who are involved in making the script, by the time I pitch it, it's almost as if I'm the one responsible for it. Right. Why am I responsible for this? You guys made this. I just, <laughs> it, it confounded me. Sure. And then a year later, here it comes again. And it's not even a script this time. Mm-hmm. It's just a beat outline of what's supposed to, what's happening, what happened before, what happens after. I feel like this is a sucker punch. I'm going to be walking in there with essentially nothing. And then, because they couldn't give me any more scripts because the writers are kind of engaged and the production is going on and the directors are doing it and the heads of story do what you need to do. Which I feel like, ah, well, I have no idea what that is. So all I could do was like, well, I know the setting, I know the moment, and then it percolates with me for a couple of days. And then one day I just decided that I... I started putting Ramesses on top of the lap of one of those giant statues, those Anubis statues. Uh-huh. And I put him in there to mope. I put him in there not only to mope, but to hide because my brothers and I would hide from my mother when she's looking for us. And we would hide from the gu- in the guava tree right next to our house and we can look down. Uh-huh. So when she's screaming for the boys... We were always outside, getting dirty, playing games that we shouldn't be playing. <laughs> sure. And then when it's time to wash up, you can hear my mom scream both our names. And the whole neighborhood can hear you. <laughs> you got a, your voice carries. But we had the secret thrill that we're hanging on the branches, looking at mom, losing her mind. Mm-hmm. And then we would sneak down and then go to the other end of the house and go inside and then kind of like, we were... What was the matter? <laughs> she, she hates that. And we were loving it. Uh-huh. So I create the story for Ramesses to have done this when they were kids. They would hide from dad and hide on top of those. And then the whole palace would be looking for the two princes and nobody can find them because it feels like, well, because what we did was we kind of vandalized some of the statues that the priests were, you know, venerating. They know it's us. But and they're tattletaling on dad, and dad feels like bring me the two princes, and they can't find them. But he has other uh, business at stake, he's gonna forget, and we're gonna get away with it. That's the story that I'm right. but it's not in the movie, right? So I played the scene of Moses coming in looking for his brother, but also understanding that no one in the palace can find him. I know where he is. He doesn't say anything. And he goes over, and then the scene is being played out in my mind. It's like walking into this this gallery of statues. And then he starts talking like a madman to himself. Mm-hmm. It's like, I remember the day where Dad was so angry with us that everybody was looking and the priests were going to be... Um, wanting us to be punished. And then he started musing out loud and laughing. Moses was just laughing is kind of like, almost like, <laughs> and then when dad caught up with us, he started ringing 
Where you are. But there was no one there. It's mm-hmm. as if he's practicing talking. And then the statue answers back. Mm-hmm. When the statue answers back, you're wondering, who, what? And then his head peeks out. And he's like, you know, like how much trouble you got me in that day. That actually lectured me for hours on that, but it was actually your idea. I know, I know. What were you doing following me? <laughs> so it felt like I created the dialogue, I created the moment, and it felt like, and then once he, they were, and then Ramesses melted and started laughing. Actually, that wasn't as funny as that other time that we did this. Remember mm-hmm. the time when we did this? Like, oh, I know. Wait, I thought that I did that. No, that was me. That kind of conversation. Yeah. You remember that? All right. And they felt like they were brothers again. And they were like, why can't we be like this all the time? Mm-hmm. Because we, we grow up and we have duties and I have this thing and you're making this difficult. I'm not making it difficult. Right? You, you know I just want some one simple thing and it doesn't cost you anything to do it. That kind of conversation, not normal. Right. And I didn't draw all of it. I pitched it like that. Okay. I just had a drawing. I knew this. His head peeking out. Wrote Moses laughing. And then I pitched it to the heads of the story. And they said like, wait. Let's call the directors. The directors come in. <laughs> and then I pitched it. And went, what? This is, this is what we are needing. We, we, this is how they have a conversation. This is great. What are you? Oh, my brothers and I were, I told them the story. I was like, this is wonderful. We, we need to put this moment in the beginning of the movie wherein they were young. Where are they getting away with it? Yeah, this is great. Good work. And I go, and they leave my office. I feel like, what the hell just happened there? <laughs> Is that what they want me to do? That's what they want me to do in, as a story person. There was no roadmap. It got put into the movie. But it's like, huh? So from, from then on, they go and like, you have any more of those? <laughs> <laughs> no. But it's interesting because what, one of the things you, you come back to is getting to the point where you don't know what to do. Don't know what to do. It's like, I'm done. I'm spent. There's nothing left. There's nothing and left. then there's a breakthrough at that moment, it seems. Yes. Yes. That when you get to that point, that you have nothing left but to be yourself. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's yes. the thing that ends up paying off. And to yes. tap into your history, to tap into yes. your emotions, to ha- tap into um, your own sensibilities. Yes. Um, yes. It reminds me, I, uh, there's a quote uh, that uh, Billie Holiday, the singer, said, uh, if I sing like everybody else, there's no reason for me to sing at all. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true, right? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, what like, for? Right. So it's the same thing, right? Like, if and and if you're working for the right people, and they value that you have a perspective and a point of view and a set of experiences, this is actually one of my arguments for um, diversity. Yes, exactly. Right, because 
a diverse, it doesn't, it's not just about, oh, this person's brown and this is a woman. And it's not just about those things. And we should give them the opportunity. Yes, that's all true. But what's also true is that they also bring a diversity of thought and perspective and experiences that enhance the whole thing. Yes. Right? So, so that what you end up having is a more complete picture of humanity when you do that. Yes. Right? And it's likely something that's presented in a way that you're not used to. Right. Yeah. So you don't have any feeling that feels like, ah, I've seen this, or feel like you can have defenses against it. Right. But because it sneaks in, you're and kind of charms you. Yeah. That becomes like worth saying that way because it it it, it is not artificial. It just came from a authentic point. And when I, I celebrate those moments and I, sometimes I spoil movies this way, experience when <laughs> watching it with my daughter and my wife and like I, I would oh, never said that before. That character has never said that. And I'm kind of like, sorry, <laughs> watching a movie. <laughs> because I'm marking kind of, this is a threshold. The character had never gone there. Yeah. Like, oh. did, you ever, uh, did you ever watch MASH, the show? Yes, the TV okay. show, yes. Yes. So I love that show. And, Me too. Uh, yeah, I think it's a really unbelievably well-written show, and, and uh, it's just a really great show. Well, Hawkeye, the main character in that show, doesn't he, – he hates being in the Army. So he won't carry a gun. He hates guns. Yes. And he, and he won't salute anyone. Yes. He doesn't salute anyone. One of the things I like about that show is that it's, a, it's essentially a family show. Yes. I mean, not a family show for families, but they are a family. Yeah. Right. And uh, there's the character Radar. Yes. And Radar is like the kid that everybody takes care of. Right. He's yes. the most sensitive. He's the most naive. He's from this little town. And everybody is uh, pretty much is very protective of Radar. And, and Hawkeye included. Yeah. And so I don't know when Radar leaves the show. It's seasons in. To the show because he was even in the movie that actor yes, he that was character, right yeah same actor larry Berghoff so, was in the movie right, right? so so he goes way back so that yeah and so radar is leaving and when people left the show they transferred them out of the essentially when they they transferred out or they they would get killed or get transferred yeah. out right yeah so um uh hawkeye i think hawkeye's got to do a surgery or something and there's not a lot of time um to say goodbye to people because there's incoming and they've got to take, care yeah, of yeah. you know, they're all doctors and they've got a, uh, it's a medical hospital for people who don't know, uh, uh, mobile. What is it? What's mass name? Mobile army surgical hospital. Yes. Right? There you yeah. Go. Got so, it. so anyway, uh, so there's always incoming and wounded coming in and I think that's what's happening and radar has to leave and he's all dressed up in his, you know, dress. I think he's all dressed ready to, I think he's dressed up nice in his formal, uh, whatever you call it in the military. Anyway, so, but um, Hawkeye salutes him as he's leaving. And Hawkeye mm -hmm. doesn't salute people. Anybody and, does. And it's the most amazing uh, moment because awesome. it's been years, generals, yeah. all kinds of people. He's never yeah. saluted. He's and always. somebody knew in that moment, like, this is the person he salutes. Yes. This is the, somebody knew. Somebody was on top of it and knew this is, and I can't tell you the emotion that that has oh, because yeah. you earn it for years. Yes. Right? yes. <laughs> right? You know, you just, it's too valuable 
if you were going to do it, that who would deserve it? Right. And you, and you, if you're the production, you can't predict that radar was going to go when. Right. 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 There's no way. Yeah. Uh, they when, probably figured he would never do it. They probably figured Hawkeye would never. Well, well, they didn't do it for McLean Stevenson, right? No, they didn't. Right. Yeah. And I'm thinking it's like, man, he, you would have saluted him because he's yeah. adorable. Right. Um, but that's amazing. I love that show. I, I watch it and, and because Hawkeye is the heart of the show. He is. And he has a soliloquy in pain. It hits. Yeah. He just feels like the, the idiocy of what this is and the loss of life. Because very rarely you really uh, uh, shown actual muzzle fire or, or combat. Yeah. Um, most of the time you're just laughing your head off, but then there's a moment where and Hawkeye kind of ca- encapsulates just what this is in lines of dialogue, which is one of my reverence for the writers, is that I don't see it coming. I know I, I know nothing of where he's going to go mm-hmm. but because of how he, uh, um, Alan Alda behaves it and what actually breaks the character to be able to say it has mm-hmm. been led up to. That by the time the words are spoken, I'm in tears. I'm like, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's off the charts. It's so well written. And they did an interesting thing on that show that people didn't realize, which is, um, uh, you know, it's a sitcom about a serious thing, right? And uh, a lot of people complain about the laugh track on that show, especially yeah, now yeah, because yeah. people don't use it as much. I have a theory about laugh tracks, but I won't get into it. But, <laughs> but, but, but people complained about that, the laugh tracks. But what was interesting about the laugh track in that show was that the laugh track never happened in, the, in surgery. Yeah. Right? Oh. So, so the same jokes and stuff were happening, but they, they said, well, no, this is, a, this is a special place where we're not going to have a laugh track. So the same jokes and things would be there, but they would be, it was an interesting contrast and people don't talk about that contrast, but that's oh. actually an interesting contrast. So they, there, there, there are revered areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But mass was the first show because I was such a, a twilight zone fan and learned a lot about writing from watching Rod Serling. Mass was the first show where I, I was, I said, Oh, a good story doesn't have to have a crazy twist ending. Like it was the first time. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Right. Like when I was a kid, I was like, wait a minute, you can tell another kind of story. Mash yes. really did. Yeah. But um, yeah, I could go on and on about it. So let's not go on about Mash. Anyway, if you haven't seen oh, it, I can, see Mash. I can, yeah, I know. I can talk about that too. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, sh- I, I love that, that show. It was a lifeline to quality TV back then when it was happening. It felt like all the other shows feels like about the same. Um, but MASH felt like it was doing something different. And then after that, it was Hill Street Blues was doing something different. And then, then uh, St. Elsewhere was doing something mm-hmm. different. All those places that felt like, oh, they broke new ground. And just to the point that we were making earlier, um, they were tapping into the authentic moments. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, it, as much as I like Barney Miller. Mm-hmm. Right, but Hill Street Blues, man, people are crazy and getting killed, and, and their relationships are not ideal and then right. crazy. And then, but it just felt like, oh, right, yeah, it's worth for, respecting for, for, for the kind of tension sure. they're creating. For people who don't know Barney Miller, Barney Miller was a sitcom that took place in a police precinct. 
Although, yes. let me just say this about Barney Miller. <laughs> okay. There were very, very deep pathos in it, too. There were. There's an episode of Barney Miller where they go out. Mostly you were inside the inside The, the squad room, yeah. Yeah, you never really left there. Occasionally you would leave, but mostly you stayed there. And there was they got called that. I think it was a, a, a robbery, a bank robbery or something. They got called out. And when they come back, you find out one of the cops has killed uh, one of the suspects. He shot him. He was a kid. And that character had a like a breakdown oh. and couldn't come back to work. And Barney came to see him at his house. And he's like, I, I can't. This is like over a, a several episodes. He's like, I can't oh. do this anymore. And he left the show. Like, oh. I can't. It was pretty amazing. Because one of the things you don't see anymore is are the emotional consequences of, uh, of, yes. of death, yes, right? I death know. just happens wholesale. Well, you know? Jack Sue died. Yeah. And leaves, yeah. well, disappears from the cast. Right. And you, for me, it's just seeing another Asian person <laughs> <laughs> who was really funny. And he was about, hilarious. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, why is, he's gone. Who am I going to root for? <laughs> Yeah, he was great. Um, we can go on about that. We can go on about we that. Just, we should just do a podcast of you and me just going to our memory language. <laughs> We'd be rich. <laughs> <laughs> we get a lot of uh, people in their fifties uh, and sixties listening to the show. That's what would happen. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, well, hopefully, they have secure income by now. Yeah. <laughs> retirement. Sure. So, um, okay, I just want to get to, this is good because we got to some of the emotional things. That's what I really like about your work. Oh, okay. Thank is you. is, well, is right. that and, and, um, and where you learned it. And it, you don't seem to have learned it externally. You seem to have learned it internally. Meaning, it, you know what I mean? Like you didn't watch a bunch of John Ford movies and go, look mm, how he does it. No, no. That's not where it came from. No, it, it came from, from me resisting it, for one. Mm -hmm. Most of the time. Why did you resist it? Because I don't, I don't want to, I, I, well, I, 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 when I was younger, I liked uh, collecting articles for writing, from writing magazines when I was in the Philippines from a library, uh, because I wanted to write. I don't understand what writing means. Not that I wanted to be. I don't want to be a writer, uh, but I, I somehow like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, I always deny the thing that people are giving me opportunities for. It's like, right. oh, Ronnie, you're, you're here in Prince of Egypt. You're doing this great work. We love you. We didn't, you were kind of like that diamond in the rough hair. We know everybody walked past you, but actually you're this. <laughs> you want a head story? Be the story on the next one on, on Road to El Dorado. It's like I say, you guys are probably out of your mind because uh, I've only served not even the full tour <laughs> on feature story work on Prince of Egypt in the same studio and you want me to be the lead, the head of a group of story people. It was like, um, you probably should keep looking because I not really know that job. But they wanted me for it and then this is, I resist. So by the time that I get to do other things, I always say, you probably have the wrong guy. You don't really want this. When uh, Andrew promoted me to be one of the heads of story on Finding Nemo. I am thinking it's like in my head. I'm, I wanted to say no because Andrew, I just joined the company. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of people behind me here who've been here longer. Right. I said this at, at DreamWorks too before, and that um, everyone. 
probably would love this job more. It would mean more. I, I just, but he, but he asked me so earnestly. It's like, people seem to respond to you. You do good work and I need your help right now. I'm in a pinch. I just need you to kind of man the station and be the head of the story for as long as you can do it for me. And, just like, and I, I wanted to say no, but instead I said yes. And I feel like maybe he's going to live to regret it, but at least it's temporary. Um, by the time that I did do the head of story job for Pete Doctor on Up, I almost felt like he's going to change his mind. <laughs> yeah. Because th there are other candidates that, have, that want this job. I was just available and I, I, he needs to speak for me because of, there's some resources. But he didn't change his mind. We had a great working relationship. And after that, he's just like, I want you to co-direct in this movie. I wanted to say, it's like, are you crazy? <laughs> Yeah. But I said yes, uh, because they, 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 they did kind of, I, I, my native reaction to everything was to think that I'm not, not worthy of it. But understanding the job, which is the point that you were trying to make, the reason I think that they offered it was because I actually was doing it already. Right. Right. Like I said, people recognize what you can do before you do often. Yeah. And the other thing, it's funny because... Um, Andrew is the reason, Andrew Stanton's the reason that I even ever got to speak at my first speaking jobs at Pixar. Uh, yeah, lecture, I lecturing about story. Yeah, uh, I it was because of Andrew. Yeah. Um, Andrew read Invisible Ink before it was yeah, published. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I have a friend, who, uh, Derek Thompson, who's a storyboard artist yeah. there, and, and uh, he read it and said, hey, can I show this to Andrew? And so Andrew read it and then said, hey, you should be down here lecturing. So I came down. But I wanted to say no to that because I, I was like, well, so Pixar, they know what story, I, what am I going to tell them? There's yeah. nothing for me to tell them, you know? And, yes. and uh, I, I have never been so nervous speaking to a group as I was that first. And you were there. I you was there. In the, you were there. <laughs> I uh, was there. You were there. That was I, fun. Yeah. Well, was it, it wasn't that much fun for me. I uh, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> at least the first time. Yes. Um, uh, but then, I don't know, something hit me and I, I really almost said no. I almost said no to it because I was so scared of it. And then I thought I will kick myself forever if I don't say if you don't. Yes, yes. You know? If I go and I fail, at least, at least I tried it. So yeah, I went. Yeah. Glad um, that you did. Because you, you probably found out that, that we were, I don't know if we were different from any other group, but this is a very welcoming and open oh, yeah. society at Pixar. It was nothing to fear because all of us are kind of, we're geeks about these kinds of things. We well, I, re I remember because I was, t I was, uh, was that the, there was, I was doing one uh, class where I was there once a week. Like on yeah, I did that too. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that Andrew, who, you know, I was just like, I, I can't even believe that, you know, I can talk to Andrew like Andrew you're a guy that I know in the world right like that blows my mind sometimes I haven't talked to him in a long time but but he would come to class and he was always there and he was always present and one day he didn't show up yet at a meeting or something and he and he showed up late and he's like I'm really sorry that I'm late and I'm like all I can think is I can't believe that you you sit through this at all like let alone <laughs> apologize that you're late you know yeah. um but yeah no it's uh what what Eventually, it's like, oh, these are just folks, you know, I mean, it, you know, all that the barriers sort of broke down and I was used to being there after a while and it all made sense. But that initial 
because all I saw were the movies. I didn't know yeah. the people, right? Yeah. And, uh, and particularly Finding Nemo uh, just blew my mind so much. And it was so dialed. It was so precise. Yeah. There's a precision to Nemo that is yeah. undeniable. It's, and yeah. and, and yeah. I was like, well, there's nothing. There's really nothing for me to say to these people. They, they, oh, wow. they clearly have it. Um, and so, but uh, that's just to say that those doubts, I think that's important for people who, who might be watching or listening to this, that those doubts uh, about your own ability, um, about your, whatever you think your skill set is, whatever you think the talent you bring is not enough, uh, yeah. because you will invariably, if it's someplace you want to work or somebody you want to work with, you'll think of them as they're on Mount Olympus or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you don't know that they have those doubts, which I'm, I'm glad you talked about your doubts um and your insecurities because i think that people need to hear those things because they don't imagine that you have them um they don't right they just see the work and they don't yeah. know everything that it took to get there and they don't know the struggle and they don't know the risk you took to do that thing and so i think it's really important um that you say those things so i'm glad that you did yeah i i i'm also kind of most of the time trying to dispel this observation of, of coming to Pixar or meeting your heroes, feeling like these infallible gods, because um, I've hanging out with these people, they kind of normalize this chaos, uh, yeah. the, the being lost, mm -hmm. the, the, the being frustrated mm -hmm. as part of the process. And that also, to, to respect that it actually is leading you somewhere. The frustration is kind of like um, how your body works, is that if there's pain in there, that means something good <laughs> right, right. is being fixed. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah. So that's kind of the philosophy of it. And then leading back to what you were observing, which is really great, I may have to use it now, is that um, I, it wasn't outside of me that when I went and looked for I need this expertise. I'm going to go out there and get it and then make it be part of me. Um, that probably happened because I was always under the gun and under fire. That when you kind of grow the facility or the awareness, it happened while you were working. Mm -hmm. That it was not, I didn't have the luxury of a season of saying, you know what I need. <laughs> right, right. Two of these, one of those, maybe right. half bucket of these. And then I'll be better. Uh, but the, the benefit of it, and although I couldn't direct you on how to do it, the, 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 the fascinating thing is that when you are kind of in a season of life bullets and trying whatever you do, yeah. that when it actually sticks, you are actually handling nothing right. theoretical. Right. So it, when it gets proven, it gets proven you know, in a very potent way. Yeah. You, you, when you're trying to learn it outside of yourself as a book or an exercise, a layer of it is that it doesn't matter. Right. And then also there's a layer of like, nobody will see it. Right. Nobody cares. But here, because you're always kind of on stage, you're always live with colleagues and things are being pushed and pulled. Uh, the test of whether this facility, the skill, or your, your, you've leveled up came under duress mm -hmm. while you're in motion, 
mm-hmm. uh, while uh, there are stakes of deadlines, and right. and also you you yourself are kind of right on the line there. So by the time you gain it, you know you you're probably like miles away from the moment already. Observing it's like, oh yeah, that moment did happen. It was a while back there. Yeah, and you weren't paying attention anymore, and you feel like, oh, I I, I kind of grew this other skill while I was doing that. Oh, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. That, is, that is why I feel that as much as I like the idea of, of workshops and I like the idea of, of schools, I'm thinking is that I, what I love about them is like this opens up for you an aspect of having radar for it. Right. So that you will know that stand still right about here. Mm-hmm. Oh, it hurts right about there. Right. Oh, okay, you're about to quit. You probably are just right in the right place to be able to just stay put. <laughs> I've heard it spoken before because I, I do that about listening to writers yeah. and filmmakers. All right about now, film's falling apart. <laughs> yeah. Ah, the quest is kind of like running ragged. Uh, this is the time. <laughs> This is going to matter. <laughs> it's funny. I, um, I tell people all the time, like somebody told me they were thinking about quitting. You know, they're trying to write and get into writing. And they, they said, I'm thinking about quitting. I go, you know what? You're not in this business until you think about quitting. <laughs> like, you're not really in it yet. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, you know yep. um, that, it's, that's part of it. Like it, you, uh, you have to get to that place where you're like, I suck. It all sucks. Uh, and it's interesting because you are then on the precipice of something when that happens, <laughs> yes. um, you know, and it's hard to explain that to people. I, I, it's hard to explain. You can't count on it because you don't know, is this really the worst already? <laughs> right. Yeah. And then it gets worse. Okay. <laughs> Maybe now's the time to quit. Right. <laughs> is it really the worst? Because you haven't been here before. It feels like the worst. Exactly. Yeah. But then years ago, your level of what the worst was is now past that, you. You already know that. Now that's true. Not, this is where, this is what is the bleeding edge. And you're wondering, okay, maybe I really am not built for this. I should just <laughs> own up to the fact that I'm failing and just walk away. It's just the most dignified thing to do right now. Well, and, then, it, then it's, and it's not. It's not. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I had to write these these books for uh, Macmillan for first second. And um, they, one book was already written when they asked me to write a book. So I just gave them the script and they said, fine. And that, that became a book. But, but then they, they, they paid me to write two other books. And it's weird when somebody pays you to write a book and there's no book, there's nothing, there's no (laughs) book. And they're like, here's some money, go write a book. And you're like, "Uh, you know, I've written books, but I would write them and then didn't try to get them published. The idea that, there would be nothing and somebody would give me a check uh, was beyond my comprehension. <laughs> and especially with the last book, because it was, they wanted me to write a, a memoir. Um, and I'm like, first of all, who am I to write a memoir? Right? Like who, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> you write a memoir. We'll read it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, well, but you know, but you know, I'm just like, well, who wants to read my, so, but it was really interesting because that doubt that I had about my ability to do it, um, and the fears that I had, those were familiar. And so 
what's interesting about it is they didn't go away. I had all the same fears as if I had never done it before, but I had the knowledge that I had done it before. Yes. Right. right? And that was, that's what pulled me through it. Well, I, <laughs> oh, well, I have done this. And, and when I don't think I can do it, I've had all of those feelings before and somehow yeah. I did it. So yeah. I just trusted that I, I could do it. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll see when the book comes out, but I think I. Oh, yeah. Know. Let me know. Well, it'll be a while. It's just now starting to get drawn, the, uh, the, oh, uh, the awesome. memoir. So it'll that's be a, two that's years. That's a great, that's a great way to talk. About. It's, it's hard to tell people this. That you've just signed up for a whole lot of pain, and then also each time, even though you have gone through it, to me it feels like, why am I going through this? Oh my God, as I've been through this already, and I, I know this. Okay, so I should calm down, and yet it's not exactly the same thing. Right? <laughs> no, it's not always. It actually no. has other surprises in store that you have never done before, and you're wondering, okay, I thought that there wasn't going to be anything worse than that. <laughs> That was the last time, and now this is another thing that shows yeah. up. That oh my, I don't want to do this. This is what you, I don't want. <laughs> well, that only happens when you're trying to get better. It doesn't happen if you're interested in no, saying no. the same, yeah. right? If you're yeah. interested in saying the same, you have a bag of tricks. You pull them out. You do your thing, and yeah. you go home, yeah. right? Part of what people experience when they experience these anxieties is about trying to be the best version of themselves. Yeah. Right. Because you could, you could eliminate that anxiety by going, this is my bag of tricks, right? <laughs> and you wouldn't have any anxiety about it, Yes, right? I come uh, home, I have a bourbon, I go to sleep. Yeah. I wake right? up, I do the same thing. Yeah. Frank Oz talks about not knowing. He likes the not knowing. Oh, it's he, he leaps into right. the abyss. He talks about You're it right. like that, you know, that he, he under, it's, it's scary and all those things, but it's the not knowing that where the magic comes in. Yes. You know, and so it's almost like you get all these skills yeah. and then you kind of have to forget about all that stuff yeah. and it, then it works through you. It's an interesting thing. And when it's working, it works through you. I can't explain it any better than that. Yeah. But yeah. when it's working, you don't feel like you're doing anything except listening. Yeah. And, and you're channeling something. Yeah. Or you're kind of, it's, it's on, on automatic that it feels like you're on for just the ride. And yeah. we have that, you probably heard us say that at, at Pixar. It's like, yeah, we jump out of planes and just build a parachute on the way down. Yeah. There's a very high probability that we would be a red smear. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I have, to, I have to say, and I was telling this to somebody just the other day. I was uh, uh, working on it. I was in a story, uh, helping a director with a story, develop a story at the very beginning of the process. And we hit this wall. And I'd never been in a situation where this happened before um, outside of Pixar. Whereas we hit this wall, like, well, this is an impossible problem to solve. But there was no anxiety about it. Like, it, everybody goes, well, that's just the way it is sometimes with stories, and we'll solve it. And, yeah. you know, we went and had lunch, and we didn't think about it. You know, and came back, and we were fresh and whatever. But the, that lack of anxiety around the, the problem yeah. was really yeah. interesting to me. Yes. Uh, that it was just like, that's what happens with stories. And everybody was fine with it, you know? know. Uh, that's great. Uh, yeah. And when it's somebody brings you people in, that way. Yeah. But when somebody brings you in as the person who's going to help and fix it, then you feel, I was feeling the anxiety that I had to fix it and have the answers. And they were like, sometimes you don't have the answers. And I was like, oh, okay. Then I, I can relax. <laughs> that's uh, great. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. 
that is funny because I, I usually, when I'm consulting, somebody brings me in. Sometimes they don't even mean to. They just want to show me what they're doing. Oh, sure. That happens, yeah. That, they just, and then I go and it's like, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, but we hit kind of this impasse on this wall. And I'm thinking, it's like, that actually is one of those things that I love about uh, working with the people I work with is that it doesn't become any less painful and frustrating. <laughs> no, no. But if you were newer at this, you would feel that it's kind of at the end. And then mm -hmm. also it's, it's kind of a referendum on how bad you are at this. Right. And that for me, it feels like, oh, well, this is now when you go to work. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, now we work. Right. Right? Yeah. Because everything got us to this point where, and now things don't work. <laughs> right. To this point where it doesn't work. Now we work. Yeah. Now that is fun because, because I've done it so many times and it's, again, frustrating and it will be difficult. But when it doesn't work is when all these other skills yeah. and training and resilience come in. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking it's like, oh, that's a lot of fun too. And I talk about it as if like, oh, this is going to be great. And they're looking at you as if like, are you insane? <laughs> you wanted this to be the solution. <laughs> I know. And obviously it isn't. <laughs> so well, we're going to find it. It's somewhere here, isn't it? Like, and then they go, you know what? They, they go, they will leave. I leave a meeting like that. And they feel like, I want that guy back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I didn't tell them I have a solution. I have a demeanor. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah, the work's going to be tough. Oh, it's going to be shitty tomorrow. It's going to be even worse the following day. Right. But, but yeah, we're going to go and yeah, we're going to go and work on it. But reoccurring in, again in your life and in your career, reoccurring is this idea that when you hit that space, when you hit that, I always tell people this. Because I've noticed that people will be safe, right? They're, they'll create in a very safe, they won't push themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And I always say to them, you cannot break through the wall until you hit the wall. And it seems like your career is that, that you yeah. hit the wall and that's when you break through. It's you have to hit it though. Yes, you, <laughs> right? you have to. Uh, yeah. You can trick yourself into thinking that you already did because, <laughs> right. because yeah. you just, nobody wants pain. Right. But you also know that the nagging feeling is like, um, I came up with a pat solution or kind of like, I kind of hit the wall, but not really. Right. And you kind of know it from the other journeys and they're like, no, there's more coming. Yeah. And I sound like that guy in a movie where it's kind of, oh yeah, this is kind of, this is horrible. It's kind of like, and there's that downer old man that's like, yeah. no, there's more coming. <laughs> <laughs> And then he turns out to be right. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rest of you are going to die. Like, All yeah. right. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, it's going to cost. It's going to hurt. Mm. Yeah. I don't want to, but that's the only way through it. Because the failure, the other one, mm -hmm. backing away from this, kind of, that sticks with you longer. Right. It, it never goes away. No. Nope. If you actually back away from something knowing it was going to hurt and that you could have actually doubled down and just muscled through it to the best of your abilities. You could still fail. Come on. <laughs> yeah. You're still there. Right. Yeah. 
But yeah. going through it is this just has, just has secret rewards and and learning that is worth it. Mm-hmm. The other, the walking away kind of thing is like, oh, it's going to come back around or in itself destroy you. Right. And I don't want that. No, you're exactly right. Well, that sounds like a perfect place to end. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. I, Thank uh, you very much. It was, was really fun. a great conversation. And uh, uh, we, will, we will let you know when we're, we're putting it up and all of that. Stuff. Awesome. Thank you. But, yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me. Oh, thank you so much, Ronnie. You Are a Storyteller, Masters of the Craft is produced in Seattle, Washington by Belief Agency. 